Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bat. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing great. And Why are you doing great? Uh, a couple reasons. Okay. One, let's get some stuff out of the way. It's our four-year anniversary. It sure is. Uh, it's also the kickoff, I think, this week of our donation drive. Oh, that's right. So um, starting this week and ending a month from now, four episodes from now, episode mm-hmm. 212. Okay. Right? 2012. <laughs> no, no, that's not right at all. At I don't all. know why I said episode that. Episode 212, we will announce uh, the three winners. Uh, and we're, we're not going to reveal the, the, the packages yet that you're that you're uh, eligible to win. But if you donate in the next month, your name goes in and you can win uh, CDs and books and DVDs and Battleship Retention merchandise and a bunch of stuff that's been signed by our past guests. It's been mm-hmm. created by our past guests. We have a lot of comedians and authors and stuff on and people who have been in movies. And, and, and uh, a lot of them have donated some great stuff that you can win. So donate between now and episode 212. Uh, and, and and follow on, on Facebook and the website and Twitter, and, and we'll give more specific stuff as, as details become uh, available. Absolutely. But I just wanted to get that out of the way right now, because we want to celebrate our four-year anniversary. It's episode, episode 208. Yeah. It's 52 weeks in a year. We do one a week. 52 times four is 208. That's Your how obsession we, uh, that, with math That's how we figured this out. And so we've got a very special guest. We do, yes. Uh, someone that we're both very si- excited about, a big, a big part of both our childhoods. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Townsend Coleman is here joining us. <laughs> Townsend's doing a bit. <laughs> when you said part of your childhoods, that really scared me. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, this dude, I know I'm getting old, but I'm not getting that old. Well, you were the voice of uh, Teen Wolf, right? Ah! In the in the Teen Wolf animated series, and that was okay, something that I I loved. I used to watch at the babysitter's house after school. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry if that makes you feel old, the but it was. Is, did the babysitter used to watch it? <laughs> oh no, she she'd be off in the other room. My babysitter, uh, when I one of the one of the people who babysitted me, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, very Catholic. Uh, place and I and this is when I lived in the south part of St. Louis, which is very Catholic, and Catholics have big families. My babysitter on her own had eleven children, oh, and then gosh. would also babysit the neighbor like neighborhood kids. It was just a thing that like all the neighborhood kids would whose parents worked would go to their house after school, and she would like feed them snacks. And well, she was already a babysitter at home. Yeah, yeah. eleven kids. Right, right. Here's the problem: when you said right. babysitter, I assumed teenager. Oh no! I, and so I, when you said eleven kids, I was like. Uh, what? Uh, no, this is an older woman. That she didn't have eleven kids. All, like, I was the age of her youngest kid. Her older, oh, okay. her oldest kid went to high school with my mom. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Um, all right. That's that's beside the point. But it's it's interesting, uh, Townsend, uh, that uh, we had another uh, voice actor on. We had Maurice LaMarche on the show once, and uh, and it's interesting with with voice actors, especially because you know you guys as far as I can tell, can work forever. Uh, and so, um, so uh, I, I think... Um, unless you don't. Uh, exactly, right, yeah. <laughs> until, st- until people stop hiring you. Right. Well, I guess there's that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean <laughs> yes. to touch a nerve if I did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's interesting because my, I first, you know, when I first think of you, I think of The Tick, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later. I want to try and go in some kind of chronological order. Um, but uh, you did The Voice of The Tick, of course. And then, uh, and then you did the voice of Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, but then that, that's reverse chronology, right? That's there, reverse though. chronology. I'm, I'm working backwards. He's working back to the yeah, good yeah. stuff. Okay, uh, but <laughs> also to my to my to my better work. 
are you? Oh, okay. Um, but then also, now this was in between uh, the Tick and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, TMNT as I call it. Um, sure. But uh, you did a voice on one of my. F- you did several voices on one of my favorite computer games, which is King's Quest Six, uh, which oh is goodness. like yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's how David's got Teen Wolf. I've got King's <laughs> Quest Six. Our knowledge but and appreciation of a Townsend Coleman yeah. it runs pretty deep. It's good that, stuff. That is hilarious. Yeah, because I don't do a lot of video games, but uh, I think that might have been like the first or second one that I did. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I couldn't tell you what parts I did on it. <laughs> you did like all of them. You did like the you did like the bad guy. You did the bad guy's uh, genie henchman. Oh, boy, it was a lot of fun. Did I do the bad guy's alter ego? Uh, no, I don't think so. It was just the just the. <laughs> did I do the bad princess? <laughs> no, you didn't do the princess. Oh, sure. You did a minotaur. You did the voice I of did a minotaur. The bad minotaur. Yeah, a good minotaur. I think I think they're only ever bad, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but so that's hilarious. So you're a King King's Quest Six fan. I am yeah. very much so. Well, we should wow. also point out to both you, Townsend, and to the audience. Like it, Tyler and I are big nerds, but every nerd has their own sort of like sub nerd thing that they're nerd about. Their nerd niche. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, right. Tyler knows voice actors like 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 I don't know what. Like it's it's a specific thing that Tyler is very into and can tell you who did the voices of what on what like cartoon show. Not all or of them. I I I, I keep I'd track of more than the average person. Well, that that's yes to be <laughs> sure. Yes. So uh, that's again just hammering home again why this is a big uh, a big deal for us. It's very exciting yeah. for us well, to have thanks. have Townsend on the it. on the show. Listeners can probably tell I'm nerding out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Uh, but let's uh, let's go back. You mentioned going back to your best work. Uh, I have to assume that was <laughs> self-deprecating um, because uh, your work on the tick was, of course, wonderful. Um, but uh, we should start before. How did you get your start? Where, you are, where are you from? Uh, how, how did you become a voice actor? And you mentioned well, being I'm a DJ for a long time. Yeah, Off I was, yeah. yeah I, well, I'm, I was born in New York, but uh, actually grew up in Cleveland, basically, mm. which is where I um, got on the radio when I was about uh, 20. Mm. And um, just became a DJ and floated around sort of from station to station, you know, playing everything from uh, from uh, uh, disco in uh, 76 and 77, <laughs> you know, to just uh, rock and roll. And um, I, I really dug that. But what, what I really enjoyed most about uh, being in radio was uh, doing production. I used yeah. to like live in the production studio and I used to love just, you know, producing spots and voicing spots. And, you know, I mean, I was never, a, a, you know, one of these people who had aspired to become an, uh, you know, a, a cartoon voice. Uh-huh. Um, it, I was never really into it that much. Um, but uh, it's funny you say, you know, uh, Tyler knows the. Uh, the, the voice actors um, back when I was in radio. And, well, see, I, I, I guess I should back up a little farther and say that my, my, my parents met in New York, both working at NBC mm-hmm. and, and my dad's uh, goal for um, quite a long time was to uh, be an announcer uh, at NBC. So I sort of kind of had this in my genes and if it wasn't in my genes, it was certainly sort of in the air around me. I, there was an awareness that I had of, you know, um, uh, of voices uh, growing up. And so, I mean, just even the fact that I ended up at NBC was a complete fluke, you know, considering the fact that uh, that's where they met. But, uh, yeah, so I got on the radio and uh, spent 10 years um, as a DJ there. And then uh, in 84, uh, uh, decided that I'd had enough, um, mm-hmm. you know, was done with radio and quit and uh, ended up moving out of um, Cleveland and moving out here. Uh-huh. Um 
you know, and just going to take my my whack at the big time, you know. You can't, so you you wanted to be. I mean, you said you're done with being a DJ, so you decided to come out here not to be a DJ in Los Angeles, well, but to y- pursue y- acting. Or, or what? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and what had happened was along the way um, during my years in, on the radio in Cleveland, um, I had discovered this world of voiceovers, and found that I had a knack for it. I really dug it, and uh, and was in essence sort of getting paid to practice. You know, working at the radio station and being a production director at uh, several of the stations that. Um, I ended up, you know, producing um, many of the radio of the uh, radio commercials that we uh, used to air, and so I had a, a pretty good working knowledge of who the voice actors, not the cartoon actors per se, but like the announcers of, uh-huh. of the day were, and um, <clears throat> really kind of aspired to be in, you know, one of those guys. And so I put a reel together when I was in Cleveland, started to, you know, shop it around a little bit. And so I started getting a little work. And it got to the point where um, by the end of my uh, time in radio there, I was actually making more money in a year doing freelance voiceover work than I was uh, at the radio station that I was at. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous, working six days a week, mm-hmm. you know, in a job that, you know, is, you know, virtually thankless. Um, and, and and not really a lot of fun after a while, you mm-hmm. know, when they start getting so formatted and and such that, uh, you know, I wasn't really having a great time anymore and uh, and thought I should be making a little bit more money and, and uh, wasn't making hardly any. But you got to remember that this is 1984, uh-huh. you know. And, um, and so, so uh, in uh, the summer of 84, I decided to quit radio and just focus on my freelance career full-time. I was just going to freelance in the Midwest, you know, in the Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Columbus, uh, Chicago, Detroit, you know, kind of, you know, that area back in there. And then as as fate would have it, about a month after I quit the radio station, the house that we had been renting for about five years, um, I got a call from the uh, uh, owner saying they were going to sell the house. Uh-huh. And so we had to move, and we had to move by September, and I wanted to, you know, be settled someplace by September because I, you know, want to make sure that we got our kids in, settled in school someplace. So I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to take a crack at at uh, New York or Chicago or L.A. And if ever there was a time to go, this is it. And so I just I came out here right after the '84 Olympics, mm-hmm. looked around for a place to live, found a little place, you know, to rent over in Glendale. And two weeks later, literally, we were living here. Wow! I mean, it happened that fast. You know. So, um, so did uh, uh, again? You came out here to pursue acting. Did you pursue? Uh, voice acting more specifically, or did you go out for... Well, what, what had happened was when I was back in Cleveland and, and doing a lot of voiceovers, I was also doing anything that I could in the entertainment field. You know, right. I was doing a TV. I was doing the radio, of course. I was doing voiceovers. Uh, I was doing theater and musicals. Um, and really kind of had always wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that was really the impetus for me moving out here, not to become a voice actor, Although I, you know, I had a good sense that I could probably make some money doing that, you know, in the meantime, while I was trying to, uh, you know, get the uh, the acting thing off the ground. But, um, yeah, so I came out here with the idea of, you know, wanting to, you know, get into movies and TV and, you know, all that stuff. You know, I mean, I was 30 at the time and I, you know, just finished up a 10 year career on a radio and there wasn't really a whole lot else I wanted to do and always wanted to be an actor. You know, and I thought if I don't do it now, I'll probably never try and I'll be, you know, one of those, you know, classic, you know, could have been a contender uh, kind of guys, you yeah. know, when I'm 
you know, 60 or 70, wishing I had tried and I didn't want to be that. So I thought, let's go do it, hmm. you know, and my wife at the time was up for it and we had three kids back then and, uh, and, uh, and had one more once we moved out of here. Um, and so we just, we just up and did it. I had a big garage sale, sold <laughs> our car and, you know, I mean, sold nearly everything we had to try and make a little cash and uh, stick it in the bank once we got out here. And, you know, I was very lucky. I got an agent my first week out here. Wow. A commercial agent. Yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and, um, you know, but ignorance was bliss. I mean, I just, I didn't know what I was up against out here. Mm-hmm. And when I say agent, I, I, I was a commercial agent, not, not a right. theatrical mm-hmm. agent. It took me a little while to get a theatrical agent. But, um, yeah, but once I got a commercial agent and I, I, I knew I had a really good demo, you know, to come out with. And uh, I think it was on the strength of that, really, that I got the, uh, the agent that I did. So still, still my agent today. You know? It's interesting. Wow. Your, uh, your uh, story is so similar to s- s- countless people of just like, well, I guess I better go to L.A. now while I can. You know, just it's it, very few people come out here with a great deal of enthusiasm. I mean, I was excited to come here, as I'm sure some people are a, a little bit. But it's also just like. Yeah, I guess sooner or later you got to go there, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's 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 part of it, and you know, I I think the the, the excitement for me was that it, it was such a huge unknown. You know, I mean, I knew one person here, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was it for me. It's not like I had lots of connections and you know lots of inroads and lots of entrees into you know seeing you know big casting people and studios and stuff like that. <laughs> I didn't, you know, and. Uh, and so it was through that one connection that I ended up, you know, getting in to see this one commercial agent. And I actually met with their on-camera agent, their commercial on-camera agent, because the voice agent was, wasn't even there that afternoon. And the guy seeing my uh, resume uh, said, do you, happen, do you do voiceovers? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, do you have a tape? And I said, sure. And so I left him a tape and he said, you know, I'll give this to our voice agent and, uh, you know, make sure he gives it a listen. By the time I had gotten home that afternoon, he had not only listened to it, but had called me, left a message on my machine saying, please, 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 whatever you do, don't sign with anybody else until you come talk to me. Huh. And I was like, holy cow. I mean, <laughs> I mean literally, I'd been here three days, four days. That level wow. of enthusiasm is not very common where it's just like i need to have you it's usually this constant having to prove yourself over and over oh listen let me tell you tyler it seems like (laughs) every every which way i look when i look back over my career here uh since 84 has just been you know one you can look at it either as one lucky break uh after another or or as one huge blessing yeah. Or another. But but it's there's no question I've I've been very, very fortunate in in a lot of the breaks that I've gotten. And and uh, I've often said that if I hadn't gotten like maybe even just that one first break with that first agent, uh-huh. that none of this, you know, ever would have happened. Uh, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's there's no going back and redoing it, but it's. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I look back at some of the, you know, really sort of critical moments in my career where if I hadn't been standing in my agent's office that day (laughs) that he got the phone call from the people at NBC who were wanting to start this thing called Must See TV and they were looking for a particular guy and, uh, you know, and it wasn't me, you Uh know, but but that other guy was not available. And so he put me on the phone and said, here, talk to this guy, uh, literally. 
And uh, they said, can you come over and do that, uh, you know, for us over here uh, in Burbank? And I said, sure, when? And he said, well, can you come over this afternoon? And I said, yeah, you know. So <laughs> I ended up going over to Burbank, and, you know, that turned into a 16-year gig doing, you know, all the comedy promos and late-night promos, you know, the Tonight Show and stuff for uh, for wow. NBC for a, for a long time, you know. Well, before, I, I, I do want to talk about, like, the other big breaks, but I kind of wanted to go back because, like Tyler said, we had Maurice LaMarche on. We also had uh, comedian James Adomian, who's a, a, a impressionist and does a lot with his voice, and they both told stories about, uh, as kids, either, like, entertaining their friends by making fun of the teacher, imitating the teacher, or just, like, imitating the voices they not saw me. on TV. Did you do any me. of that? That wasn't me. It wasn't no, you? No, I mean, I was the shy kid. <laughs> I, was, I, I wasn't the one who was, you know, always cutting up in class and stuff. Um, you know, I was, I was always very comfortable on stage if I had you know, a script, but uh-huh. uh, definitely not a comedian, definitely not an impressionist, uh-huh. you know, or a comedian uh, uh, of, of that sort at all. Um, I mean, I've got a, you know, decent sense of humor. I think you sort of have to, to even be in just, you know, be in this business to begin with. But, you know, Mo, you know, you're talking about Maurice LaMarche. I mean, you know, Mo is a comedian. Mo uh-huh. is an impressionist. Mm-hmm. He's brilliant. And, um, you know, I've known Mo for years. And as a matter of fact, uh, Mo and I did our very first cartoon uh, show together. Really? His first show was Inspector Gadget, uh, which was my first show. Hmm, yeah. And he had already been on the show for, I think they did 65 episodes. And he had already been on for um, like 55 episodes. And then for whatever reason, Deke decided to add this little character for the last 10 episodes of the show. And I went and I auditioned for this thing and I got the part and, you know, went to my very first cartoon session. This was about six months after I moved here. And, uh, and I'll never forget sitting in that studio over B&B Sound in Burbank. And there were, there were four people in the studio. There was Maurice LaMarche who I'd never met before. And then uh, sitting next to him between him and me was uh, Frank Welker mm-hmm. and then there was me and then to my right was Don Adams hmm. who of course I grew up watching as yeah. you know Get Smart and yeah, you know, yeah. the, the whole thing and um, I mean I just really had to pinch myself I just you know looked around and, and the, the really crazy thing about it was uh, when we still lived back in Cleveland which at that point was only six years pr- I mean six months prior you know yeah. so it wasn't that long my kids used to watch Inspector Gadget back in Ohio hmm. so I had a little bit of knowledge about the show but not so much to look at it as to hear it on in the background mm-hmm. you know and and I'll never forget you know being really curious at that very first episode wondering you know who the voice of Dr. Claw was you know because I knew it I knew it couldn't have been Maurice or Frank or Don Adams because none of them looked like this guy sounded <laughs> until this guy's you know the, the the character's line came up in the script as we were doing this very first read through and I'd never done a read through before and then all of a sudden this voice comes out of Frank Welker you know and he's <laughs> sitting right next to me and I just about fell off my chair I could not believe what I was what I was what I was watching you know and that was a real wake up call to me a, you know just a, a real eye opener about you know, the the people who are in this business and, uh, you know, just the, the immense, immense talent, um, you know, the, the, that populate this biz. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's the long way of saying, yeah, there are a lot of great impressionists and comedians. And um, in fact, I would say most of them probably are. Um, mm-hmm. I've always sort of counted that as a, uh, 
um, as a bit of a disadvantage for me, you know, my, um, you know, um, a, you know, bit of shyness on top of it. And, um, you know, sometimes these, uh, animation sessions can get pretty crazy, uh-huh. you know, and, and, uh, you get a room full of, you know, uh, r- you know, Rob Paulson's and, and Maurice LaMarche's and Jeff Bennett's and Jim Cummings and, you know, I mean, all the, 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 the kings of the hill, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, just all doing their, all doing their brilliance. And it, it's not hard, at least it wasn't hard for me, to, to just sit back and just watch, mm-hmm. you know, because I definitely never felt like I could really keep up with them. So it was always just easier for me just to, just to sit back and just watch them, watch them all just, you know, do their brilliant stuff. And, uh, so what was for our listeners? What was the name of the character on Inspector Gadget? That was your first Corporal uh, Cape Man. Corporal Cape Man was yeah was the character that I did, and he was uh, Gadget's little kind of assistant, little like right hand man. Uh-huh. You know, wore a cape, big thick glasses, buck teeth, <laughs> rode a tricycle around. And did you? Th- I get this is probably going to be a, a recurring question, or maybe just the once. Um, did you see a design for the character first, and then you kind of based your voice on on that, or like how did you come to craft your first cartoon voice? Yes, it was exactly okay. that. I saw a picture, okay. um, which is what they'll usually do. I mean, um, like even now, you know, when you audition for a show, and uh, most of the auditions I do, I, I do from home, like I was saying, you know, like mm-hmm. a little studio at home. Um, so this, they send you a, a picture of the character and then a description of what the character is and maybe a little description about what the show is mm-hmm. uh, and then some sample lines of the character. And then you base your audition on that. And, yeah, I just took one look at this uh, character and it just seems so obvious to me what, what, he, what he sounded like um, mm-hmm. that, you know, I just I, – I didn't really even much think about it. I just, you know, did a voice that first came to mind. And they laughed. They liked it, you know, which is always the best thing for an actor because, you know, when, you know, you've got an appreciative audience and, you know, they're laughing at your stuff, then you start thinking of more stuff to do. And, you know, how can I make it better? What else can I try? And, you know, then that's that's when things can really get fun and creative. Um, So, yeah. So they showed me a picture of the character and and I, uh, I, I took a look at it and, you know, took a whack at it and they liked it and hired me. Now I hate to uh, act as though you're some sort of trained monkey, but uh, I uh, do not. I do not recall what makes you the think voice. I'm not. <laughs> okay, well, you, I don't know. I guess a voice actor, you kind of have to. Just, they'll be like, "All right, there's the microphone. Just do your stuff now." Um, but uh, but I do not recall the voice of Corporal Cape Man. Mm-hmm. How uh, how did that go? How, how would Corporal Cape Man sound? Perhaps he goes a little something like like this. Oh, Inspector Gadget, I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> very much the big sort of nerdy kid, buck teeth, always very helpful, but was always getting in everybody's way. Hello, you know, I mean, it's one of those guys. And I think I, as I look at the waveform on your on your computer, I've just destroyed. Uh, I think your computer. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. But that you know what that actually brings up an interesting. Okay, so you mentioned you're not like. You weren't like the class clown. You weren't kind of the goofball guy. And just in our discussion now, like, seemed like a very reserved person. But the ability, your ability to, and we'll bring this up again when we talk about Michelangelo, your ability to just amp up the energy immediately is astounding to me. Um, it, it, like, 
do you ever this is going to sound kind of strange but do you ever sort of surprise yourself whenever you go into a voice where you're like, man, this could not be further from me? Uh, not, not really, not really in that sense. Okay. No, because because I, I've I've always had the actor ish thing in me, okay. whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not when, when I say when I say that I was like a, a, a shy kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean that I I couldn't talk to anybody. I just right. was, you know, I was always very comfortable on stage. Um, uh, you know, not crazy about public speaking, you know, stick a script in front of me and I'm mm-hmm. a whole lot better. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I was never one of those guys that, you know, was the, was the class clown, you know, mm-hmm. was the, was the, uh, the kid who was always getting in, in, in a trouble like that. I was always too afraid to get into trouble. So, <laughs> you know, I keep my mouth shut, but being an actor and I, I've never had a problem. Um, I don't know, maybe part of it was, you know, um, being on the radio, uh, I used to do a lot of characters on the radio. I used to do a, a morning show at, at one point in, in my career where, where um, I used to do, I used to, I used to come up with bits and then go in the production studio while a record was on, and record the character mm-hmm. doing his lines, and then I would bring the cart back into the studio and then run the bit and talk along with him. Uh-huh. You know, so and I, so I never had problems doing that kind of thing. You know, the thing that will freak me out the most now is sometimes and again, again, here's where the sort of the ignorance is bliss kind of thing um, is is when I when I can't when I can't make something come out of my mouth hmm. the way I hear it in my head. That's hmm. that can be really frustrating because I know I hear it. And I know what I think you ought to sound like. Uh, you know, I could hear somebody else doing it, and I can I can try and do it. But for some whether whether it's I freak myself out, you know, or I I uh, you know I just uh, flake myself out or whatever it is, I don't know, you know. Hmm. And sometimes it's just that I just I can't do it. You know, you, you you talk about the the comedians in this business. One of the things that makes these guys so fun to work with, and makes them so good at what they do, uh, especially in animation. Is because they've got such a rich well of of stuff to draw upon, mm-hmm. you know, just this life experience of whether they were huge movie fans or TV buffs or or comic book fans or 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 whatever, you know. I mean, um, they just they know a lot, and they did have that sense of creativity even as a kid, and would mimic and you know and 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 uh, you know joke around and stuff, and. And so, I mean, there have been countless times in the studio over the years when I'll be in an animation session, and uh, the voice director will toss out um, what we call an incidental character. You're not one of the main characters, mm-hmm. but in this particular episode, he happens to be a shop clerk, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, or maybe he's thug number three or mm-hmm. what, whatever it is, you know. Thug leader, death fist, ninja, co-pilot, captain, or programmer, for example? One of those guys, <laughs> yeah. And... When and and typically, you know, if the way my mind thinks um, is, I'll tend to come up with something that's usually I, I think sort of fairly bland and safe and benign. Whereas, you know, people like uh, 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 you know Maurice Lamarche or Rob Paulson, or, you know, any of these guys who are you know um, so facile and so gifted at, at 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 what they do in that sense. Um, 
they get uh, Pat Fraley comes to mind because uh, he used to crack me up all the time on Ninja Turtles. You know, they'd always toss, uh, um, you know, Pat uh, 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 and incidental. I, I remember this one episode on Ninja. Um, no, no, no. It was on the it was on the tick, and it was it was the tick versus the. Um, it was the one with Roddy McDowell in it of uh, the bread uh, breadmaster. Breadmaster, yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a character, and I think he was like a sh- either a shop clerk, you know, or like a drugstore clerk or mm-hmm. something. He's the guy behind the counter or something. Now, normally, you know, if that had been tossed to me, I would have come up with something just probably really boring, <laughs> you know. Pat came up with his voice. That I swear to you, it made me laugh so hard because it just it didn't. It it didn't make sense to me that he would sound like that, and yet when he did it, I couldn't imagine that character sounding <laughs> like anything but what it ended up sounding like. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's so amazing, you know, about these guys. They'll they'll draw upon these just crazy weird references, um, you know, old character actors, you know, from way back when. I, I remember I was doing a, an episode of. Uh, I think uh, you had mentioned that uh, you were familiar with Adventures in Odyssey. Oh yes, um, yeah. And I was doing a, an episode of Odyssey, and and Corey Burton, one of the. Um, one of the biggies uh, in in the animation biz um, um, has done has done a lot on Odyssey, and I remember there was a, a character that they tossed him one day, and he did this. Uh, and this is not a guy that you would ever. This is not a character that you would think to be able to do an impression of, but he did Charles Kuralt. <laughs> and it was about as obscure as I could possibly have imagined, except that he did him dead on. It perfectly worked for the character, and I just I sat there and I just marveled. I mean, that's that's those are the guys who are in this business who, you know, you're up against them. And I think had I known that really early on when I first started to get into um, uh, animation, uh, had I known that that was the caliber of of the. Uh, of the competition, um, I probably would have freaked myself out <laughs> too badly to ever even try again um, back then. Well, it's a, um, it's a fun instinct of just like, you know, I'm getting <laughs> a strong Kuralt vibe from this character, but I think I'm going to tap into that. But, but that's Corey. But it's so many of these guys, you know, they, they you know, a lot of them do like a, a, a couple of really good impressions, you know, but then there are other guys who just have like this whole uh, repertoire of amazing impressions, but but not the typical ones, not ones that you would think, you know, I think this will come in handy someday. <laughs> if I could do Charles Kuralt, I could, you know. <laughs> and one of the great things about Corey is because he's got such an amazing ear, um, and uh, he's he's able to do, like, announcers better than anybody I've ever heard <laughs> and make them sound, A, dead on, um, but completely believable uh, and all different, all unique. Um, really, truly, it's just it's an amazing, amazing ability, you know, when I watch these guys do that kind of stuff. Well, that, um, well, first off, I want to warn you, Tyler, is probably going to ask you to do a couple more voices by the time we're done here. I won't necessarily. Okay, I'll probably <laughs> oh, ask sorry. you to do I the mean, tech. I, I, don't, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm happy. That, I, I'm just happy to put the the burden onto Tyler. Yeah, thanks for that, too, buddy. Because I love hearing great. it, too. <laughs> but, um, so you talk about this, um, this just, uh, the, the different, the varied and unique, and w- I think there's, a, when you look at, like, the IMDb profile of a voice actor, and the fact that they're usually 
so dense <laughs> these profiles you know that you, you guys work uh a lot and do different characters on each show and um and, and the fact that the characters are so different i think they're there's a temptation among some people to look at voice actors as kind of like just hired guns, just like sort of journeymen, and maybe that's the tem- that's the, the well, temptation. I think there's some truth to that, but I'm saying that's also the temptation of the studios. Maybe that's why voice actors don't get the respect I think that uh, other actors get. Um, but uh, I really do voice like you, you've, you've talked the... uh, real quick. Okay. You've talked multiple times about having the actor thing, and I really want. I guess I want you to to to, to address that when you're doing a character, you're not just coming up with a voice you are coming up with a character an actual person yeah you're right there's actual acting going in in here and i think a- some people ab- don't necessarily yeah, recognize no, ab- that absolutely and and i mean that's why i call myself a voice actor i, uh-huh. I, mean, I don't say i you know do voiceovers um right you know although that is part of what i do you know but you know and then i don't call myself an announcer you know because to me that conjures up an image of you know 40 years ago uh-huh. you know um Absolutely. Um, the people who are voice actors are absolutely, you know, actors first and foremost. And I've, to be honest, I think that uh, a lot of them are, are, have more going for them, more acting chops going for them uh, than many very, very well-known, successful on-camera actors. Um, you know, because you've got to do it all with your voice. You know, you're not. Re- you can't rely on facial expressions. You can't re- right. rely on camera cuts. You can't rely on, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it either comes out in the voice characterization or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why you know the the ones that have really worked. You know, over the years. You know, if you know whether it's you know Mel Blanc and Doss Butler and Don Messick and those guys up to you know the Charlie Adlers of today um, uh, work so well is because they're great actors. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you you, you, you can't just you, you can't just do silly voices, which is again where you know, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but is where I feel like that's 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 the weak link in my chain, um, is that there's 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 certain kind of acting that I can do, and and do well, and and then there are other areas where um I, you know I just I just don't have that same kind of strength. You know, or same kind of imagination, um, and and that's a, a you know a heck of a lot of what it is is being able to use your imagination and just go balls out. You know, Tyler, you you mentioned before. Do I surprise myself when sometimes I can you know be so <laughs> big and 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 I don't. Um, you know, partly because I've been around these people for so long, but you know, I used to do that on the radio too, and it's one of the it's kind of few areas where I can find myself. Are really able to cut loose, but also partly because um, I, I've taught a lot over the years, and one of the things that I that I uh, that I learned sort of early on um, in in teaching uh, um, voice acting is that it's always a lot easier to pull somebody back mm-hmm. than to try and juice them up, no. to, you know, to give them some energy. Um, boy, that can be a, you know about the hardest thing in the world to try and give somebody energy where they just don't have it. You know, it's a lot easier to take somebody who's just like way over the top and mold them and pull them back and, you know, get them to fine tune it. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, well, I do want to, uh, I do want to move into, um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, there's, 
a wealth of uh, conversation to happen uh, as a result. <laughs> okay, um, and don't 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 feel afraid to just tell me to shut up. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> we really? Have, yeah. We wouldn't yeah. have had you here. Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I've wanted to say it five times. Um, <laughs> no, that's a joke. Of course, I'm I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was trying to. I was watching uh, on YouTube. There was, I think, a, like a special feature for the DVDs or something in which you and uh, Cam Clark and and Barry Gordon and all the uh, actors were talking about what it was to be a part of this thing mm-hmm. and uh and for me because i i was at the perfect i mean i was i guess i was five when the cartoon started and uh not to make you feel old i'm sorry um <laughs> no but, that's okay uh, okay <laughs> my youngest son was like okay. five also four I think, okay good. Know, and so i uh you know my friends and i collected the toys and and all of that and and you know when you're five or six, it doesn't it doesn't occur to you that the phrase "teenage mutant ninja turtle" is strange, <laughs> and it just seems like, hey, this is a neat, fun thing. Turtles that are ninjas. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but when you're an adult, right, and you have to, <laughs> you're being tapped to become part of this thing. Right. I have to assume that you thought this probably won't become one of the biggest franchises ever, right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I mean, I don't think any of us thought that it was going to amount to much of anything. I mean, I remember, and, and again, stop me if you've heard this one because I've told it probably a billion times, but I was doing a, um, a show called Fraggle Rock at uh-huh. the time, and it turned out that the voice director on Fraggle Rock was going to be casting and directing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he showed up at a Fraggle Rock session one day, and pulled out of his briefcase a copy of the comic book. Uh-huh. And he showed it to us, and he said, you guys aren't going to believe this, but look at this is going to be the next show I'm going to be directing. And uh, and we looked at it, and I don't think there was a, a single one of us in the room that that thought that the, the thing had any chance <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, maybe it might get made into a pilot, you know. Maybe it might go a season, but I mean, it was just too out there. You got to remember, this is back in the days of My Little Pony, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and Rainbow Bright and Care Bears, and you, you know, this, the world was just too nice a place, uh, you know, in Cartoon Land back right. then, um, you know, to to be ready for something like that. I, I, at least that was my impression. Mm-hmm. You know, and having little kids at the time, too, you know, I had a real hard time trying to put the two together, trying to imagine this comic book, you know, um, and, and trying to imagine it as a uh, as a an animated show. Just also, the comic book itself is is significantly darker than the show yeah. was. Yes. So and I yeah. also think more um, I think the the comic book was more I don't want to say self-aware, but kind of knew that like the, it kind of knew it was kind of crazy that these are turtles who were turned into perpetual teenagers who know uh who are ninjas and also all happen to be named after uh, <laughs> like italian masters <laughs> like i think the right. comic book took more of a, a joke like it had more of that sense of humor well, was about it and the ch- tv show was kind of at pace value uh, right and I, I, always, I always got the feeling that uh that uh you know when uh, eastman and laird had, had created the thing to begin with that they were sitting around. In fact, I, I, I may have even heard them say as much. Either that or I'm just lying through my teeth. Um, but uh, that they were just, you know, trying to think of the, the, the oddest uh, combination of things that you could come up with, you know, at, at, at one time. It's like me um, trying to figure out what is so hot about zombies now. <laughs> 
Yeah. And it seems like there everything in order to get on the air now it has to has a zomb- have a zombie in it. It has mm-hmm. to have zombies in the name. So yeah, that's what it uh, that's what Ninja Turtles struck me as back then. It's like just trying to think of, you know, anything that you could put together that just was the most like bizarre combination of you know, <laughs> qualities. It is one of those titles that with each progressing word it gets weirder. Teenage. All right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Mutant. <laughs> Hang on. Ninja. All right. Turtles. Oh, you weren't expecting that last one, were you? You really threw you for a loop. Exactly. Um, and then, like you said, you know, the, after the, you know, named after the Renaissance masters, uh, that's probably not one you, 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 yeah. you would have thought would, would fit right in there. Oh, yeah. And they love pizza. <laughs> and they love pizza. Yeah. And it, live in a sewer. It's pretty <laughs> Oh, of course. Why wouldn't you? Uh, and it's a guarantee, of course, that there will be an entire generation of of people who, when they when they hear of Leonardo da Vinci or uh, you know no Michelangelo, the first thing they'll be like Raphael, Calabunga. They don't have the slightest clue, you know, who the actual artist was. They yeah. just know that you know that was a uh, oh yeah he he was the party dude uh-huh. <laughs> who loved who loved you know anchovy and hot fudge pizza. Donatello, he's the one that does machines, right? Right. That's no question about it. <laughs> right. I still don't know who Donatello is. I'm such so, a jerk. <laughs> um, he's the purple one. Oh, right. you mean the... the, the <laughs> <laughs> um, he uses the bow. Yeah. So, um, okay, so, yeah, you met the I mean, the, the director. How did you get the... Did you audition for Michelangelo, or did yeah, this guy so pick he, you he, out? He, he brought us into audition, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, I uh, went into um, audition... Uh, coincidentally at the same studio where I did that first session of Inspector Gadget and um and uh just and en- and en- ended up you know being one of the one of the lucky guys to en- end up with a part on the show now when when it's a when it's a uh, a new show like that and they're uh, casting voice actors do you audition for Michelangelo or do you just audition and they they well you know strangely enough I I don't know if you're aware of this um and again stop me if you've heard this one but um <laughs> When when the, when they when they cast the show initially, they they cast Rob Paulson as Raphael, mm-hmm. uh, Barry Gordon as Donatello, but they were undecided as to whether I was going to be um, Michelangelo or Leonardo, mm-hmm. and whether Cam was going to be Michelangelo or Leonardo. They hadn't decided which was which was which. Mm-hmm. And at our first recording session, um, we were booked for uh, the 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 first five episodes was a five part miniseries. That was essentially a pilot for the show. And when we showed up at the first session, they still hadn't decided um, which character I was going to play. And same with Cam. So what the uh, voice director told us, he said, what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to we're going to read it through one way. And uh, Townsend, why don't you take Michelangelo first and then we'll go back and do it again. You know, we'll record the, you know, the read throughs and stuff. Um, and we'll go back and, and, uh, we'll do it again. Um, and we'll just switch, you know, and then we'll make our mind up after that. Well, because of bunches of stuff that was going on, I think there was a, you know, a good deal of anxiety, um, you know, surrounding the show and, you know, those first recording, um, sessions that once we had finished the, 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 uh, first read through, when we went back to do a second read-through, they just never had a switch. Uh-huh. So Cam never did get a chance to try <laughs> Michelangelo, and uh, and uh, I never got a chance to try Leonardo. You know, so it just that 
ended up just being the way it was. And it was almost like it was, you know, just a roll of the dice. I mean, you know, the Stu, the voice director at the time, could have said, you know, Tony, why don't you try Leonardo first? And Cam, you do Michelangelo first. And then we'll go and switch him on the second read through. And then not have switched. And I would have been, you know, Leonardo all those years. <laughs> Um, um, and it's weird because you go back to, uh, I don't recall who you were saying this uh, about, but the uh, the idea that when you think back, you can't imagine it being any other way. And I, I like Cam Clark as a, as a voice actor. I liked him as a deflator mouse on... Uh, on the right. tick, I think he's. I think he's very right. talented. But it's weird to like. I can't imagine his voice being Michelangelo. Nor can I imagine yours being Leonardo. Like it's just they're so. It's just so perfect in my mind. But that might also be because that's the only way I've ever heard it, <laughs> and it's what you got used to, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But, uh, and so I was. But, oh, go ahead. Well, my question about Michelangelo, like uh, he was. I mean, he was kind of like. The breakout character, if you will, I, I remember among my friends because Michelangelo is the outgoing, like super outgoing. He's often the comic relief. He's kind of the uh, the wackier one. Like he was a lot of people's favorite. Does that dynamic carry over into the rec- recording studio? Were you the were you the bigger star? <laughs> well, no, that question is about half tongue in cheek. Yeah, but, uh, I, I don't. I can't say that there was any particular star. I think um, for some reason. Um, it, it seems. I mean, I know that Michelangelo was was popular because w- what I used to hear over the years was because he's the party dude, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but uh, Raphael was very popular too. Uh, I'll admit. Well, it's uh, like you, in, you, in front of like you, I'll you, admit that Raphael you, was always my favorite. You both have your favorite, <laughs> you know, uh, genres and uh-huh. niches. You know, in Nerdville, right? You know, <laughs> and it's the same with Ninja Turtle fans or or any animation fans. You know, I mean, you know, I'd meet you know people over the years and. And their favorite was Donatello because he does machines. He was the smart, you know. He was the uh-huh. smart. The smart I like one. Donatello. Their their favorite was Raphael because he was, you know, he was a, he was a you know a, a wiseacre. Um, uh, M- Mikey because he was the party dude, or Leonardo because he was the leader, uh-huh. you know. And one of the things that always used to surprise me is the the letters that uh, I had gotten um, over the years. Um, well, we as a cast of. Of the lives of of kids that this show impacted in a positive way. I mean, kids would say now as adults having their own kids saying, you know what, when I was growing up, I had no idea. But I realized that what Ninja Turtles taught me was and then, you know, there was some positive trait about, you know, never give up, keep on trying or, you know, uh, Turtles fight with honors, whatever it is, you know. But but uh, it, it had a you know big impact on a, on a lot of a lot of kids growing up. Yeah, it's it's still uh, a part of the cultural lexicon. I mean, in a very, I don't know if you saw there's a movie that came out last year, an English movie called Four Lions. I don't know if you are aware no, of I this. Didn't see it. uh, it's a very dark comedy, and there's at one point. I believe this marks the third week in a row that you've brought it up. Maybe fourth. It's one of my favorite movies of last year, and not yeah. a lot, not enough people saw it. But it's a very dark comedy. At one point, there's a suit like a terrorist suicide bomber who is disguised as a Ninja Turtle <laughs> to get past. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, these things. But still, not Michelangelo. Uh, I can't remember. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But uh, and I don't think it's an official Ninja Turtle. I think it's uh, it's, it's kind of a general. Generic yeah, just a, kind a of generic thing. sort of ripoff costume, but just. Uh, uh, I, I just thought that was uh, just talking about that movie Four Lions recently, and then having 
Townsend on the show, like I, I was just thinking about how that's still very much a part of the, like th- to this point, the, the turtles are as as known and and cherished a child, uh, uh, you know, animated icons as uh, anything that came from twenty years before that. Yeah, well, when, when I think about when I was growing up, and you know, and the the cartoons were you know Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear and. You know, th- those kind of guys. Of course, they didn't have the marketing machines behind those that Ninja Turtles had. And, Machine's and, a good and, word for and, it. <laughs> and and all, all the, well, yeah, you know, I mean, as, as voice actors, we've, we've often joked over the years about, you know, hoping your toy sells well, because <laughs> if it doesn't, then, you know, they're going to kill your character. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, but, you know, just, just knowing that I got lucky enough to be a part of, um, yeah, like you said, the lexicon, you know. Uh-huh. Um, a, a really iconic show, uh, you know, in, in uh, you know through the '80s and mid '80s through you know mid '90s, basically, you know. And there was there was an aspect that that I kind of wanted you to speak to because I found I, this was also mentioned, I think, on the special features, and I found it very touching that, like, you know, the four of you, even though you are, it's it's odd the way I'm about to phrase this, you kind of became the face of Ninja Turtles, even though it was your voices. Um, you know, for example, I remember being very excited as a as a kid to see the uh, cartoon All Stars to the Rescue. Uh, <laughs> only to, f- and you know what? I did feel a bit. Even as a kid, I felt a bit gypped. I'm like, oh, this is just an anti drug thing. Not that I was pro drugs as a kid, but I'm just like, oh, I get it. They're not actually coming together because they like each other. They're coming together. To t- they want to teach me something, and I don't like that. Oh, you um, got that, did you? <laughs> but um, that was so, a like, pretty amazing thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I remember being very excited to see that. See, I think back on it now. I'm just like, there's got to be some all those all those people willing to put aside copyright issues. Like that's really something. Uh-huh. But um. But in that instance, you know, it's like they had to have a Ninja Turtle. There's no question about it. It's the biggest cartoon, so it sort of adds <coughs> weight to what they were doing. So you got to get it, and you got to get, I would say, the, quint- the the essential Ninja Turtle, which is Michelangelo. You know, and and then the other the other side of that is something that that I was unaware of that you guys mentioned is like, you know, not to depress everybody suddenly, but talking to like sick children. You know, like on the phone. Right. Um, yeah. Can you um, can you speak to that, like uh, that kind of experience? And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Rob Paulson is actually the one who, who got me involved in some of that early on because uh, he's been so involved uh, in charity work like that over the years. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it, 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 it makes you feel really, really lucky to be um, alive and healthy. For mm-hmm. one, to be doing the job you're doing, you know, to feel like one of the luckiest guys on the planet, you know, be able to make a living doing this. Um, but it really d- does put things in perspective. And when, when you do get a chance to to in, impact, to bring a smile to some mm-hmm. some kid's face, uh, there's no feeling like it. And no. Famous Phone Friends, who we were involved with, um, of course, was primarily over the phone. You know, you'd make you know, phone calls, but I've been mm-hmm. involved in make a wish for instance, over the mm-hmm. years. And, uh, I remember going and visiting, a uh, a kid who, who in Colorado uh, Springs, um, who was, um, dying from leukemia. Mm-hmm. And that was heart wrenching for me, mm-hmm. yeah. heart wrenching because not long. I mean, I wanted to say just a matter of a couple of months, I think after we met and, and he got it, you know, a chance to, to get his wish through mm-hmm. the make wish foundation. Uh, he passed away. Yeah. And I, I think he was um, 10 
And was his wish to like meet the the Ninja Turtles? Or? This actually wasn't for the Ninja Turtles. It was oh, okay. for uh, Odyssey. Oh, really? For okay. Odyssey. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and so I went. I went out to Colorado Springs because I wanted to meet this kid, and it it just it was. It, I mean, it really was heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. You know, what a wonderful kid and a wonderful family. And you just you look at him and you go, why? Mm-hmm. You know, why? why? Mm-hmm. But you know, any positive uh, impact. You know that, that that we can have, or that I can have, you know, um, using you know the talent that I've got, or or the the position that I've you know been blessed to have. Uh, I'm I'm happy to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it is a very interesting thing, and something that I had not even occurred to me until I watched uh, that video on YouTube. It's just this idea of when you are part of this thing that is so much bigger than yourself, which is even if it's something as seemingly innocuous and unimportant quote-unquote as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you realize but because it has to do with kids like it's a as you said it's it can be a huge part of somebody's life and Mm -hmm. their development as they're growing up but also you know somebody a a kid could just want to hear Michelangelo's voice (laughs) on the phone which is you know and it cheers them up at a time when they are not really cheerful and exactly it's it's fascinating to to think of that that something that I think adults would probably crap on, like as just like ah, it's just a cartoon for kids. It's like yeah, but it sure did help kids yeah. in a lot of ways. <laughs> I got to be honest with you that that it it really was a, a number of those letters over the years uh, from fans um, who would say things like, uh, you know, I was going through one of the hardest times of my life when my parents were getting divorced and 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 I remember. And they'd name a particular episode, and there was mm-hmm. some line. I mean, you know, these kids, they would, like, remember specific lines that would just st- stick with them that would get them through difficult times, mm-hmm. you know? I always felt like an idiot because I couldn't even remember the episode, much less the line. <laughs> I can remember, was that something I even said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, but... Uh, I remember uh, just a, uh, a more lighthearted illustration of uh, how, how deeply turtles, like... Uh, permeate permeated the uh child uh world my last name is bax b-a-x and there was a character on the ninja turtles <coughs> called baxter baxter stockman he, yeah and he wasn't he was kind of an annoying character he wasn't a, like uh he wasn't everyone's favorite and so kids would like make fun of me by calling me baxter <laughs> saying that you're you're like baxter stockman and that was like and it would really get to me like i am not <laughs> It fascinates me how uh, how nimble a kid's uh, mind can be. Where it's like, okay, his name last name is Bax. There's a character whose first name is Baxter, and he's kind of annoying because he turned he's turned into a fly. Right, and, and this I'm is going how to call him Baxter. Get back at him <laughs> exactly. yeah. for being so nerdy and uh, generally off putting. I'll have to keep that in mind, David. Um, but uh, so I did want to move on because we're we're get, we're starting to go a little bit long. So, so what did you want to move on to? I wanted to move on to the tick. Okay, yeah, uh, we talked earlier, and I know uh, again to make make you feel old. Very much a part of our of my childhood, uh, but it sort of tracks with my development because one thing, Tyler and I are big movie fans. But another thing that brings us together, another thing that comes up very often in this podcast, is that we're huge comedy fans, and I feel like. The Tick was one of those things that was the right sense of the hu- sense of humor at the right time for my age to sort of help my development into a more nuanced comedy fan because it's 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 a uh, it's still it's a, as a comedy it still holds up today. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not broad. It has a, a really weird sense of humor to it that still works and is not specific to kids or to 
the era. It's uh, the tick was in, in, in terms of my development as a comedy fan, a very important milestone for me. I'd say for definitely for Tyler too. Oh, absolutely. It's there. There are a few things that I that I became interested in. I'd say probably ages like ten through I'd say thirteen that uh, that really formed a lot of my sensibilities as somebody who likes film and somebody who likes comedy. And I remember my my attitude with the Tick because it came after. Batman the Animated Series had already started, and X-Men. And so at this mm-hmm. point, animated superheroes had been kind of a standard thing on Fox. And uh, and I just thought, because I'd seen the promos, and I thought The Tick was just another version of those, like another superhero show. And then I watched it, and I remember the first episode, The Tick versus the Idea Man. I was just like, this is weird. Weird. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. this is a little, this is different. Like, The Tick's kind of dumb. <laughs> it's just like, He's not Batman or anything, and and his his overweight partner dressed like a moth, but everyone <laughs> thinks he's a bunny. Right. This is all but very strange. By the way, I'm going right. to take this second to point out that we got into the tick without Tyler asking you to do Michelangelo. That's fine. So uh, that's fine. Can we, we will not be? Oh, d- <laughs> can I be the guy? It, okay, sure. If you want to be, <laughs> sure, dude. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh no! Here we go! Cowabunga! Well, dudes, we're here in the old turtle lair, just kicking it with oh the boys. We're gonna have some pizza, maybe some hot fudge and anchovy. My fur, my personal fave, I should say. <laughs> it's very surreal. It's very surreal. It's one thing to hear a voice that I was unfamiliar with, which is of course Corporal Cape Man, uh, which I. Re- <laughs> insist on repeating because I enjoy saying it, but uh, <laughs> but here, uh, that's very strange, and that's very that's very strange. So uh, it was delightful as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. That was great. Oh, it's it, but it's all it's, it's strangely poignant to me, uh, David. But, um, <laughs> Let's get back into the tick. Sorry. Absolutely, yes. Thank you. So how did this? How yeah. did the, how did the tick come about? Again, something that was a comic book same, first. You know, same basic way. You know, mm-hmm. got an audition for it, and uh, actually didn't even make the cut the first time around, hmm. and. Um, I think wow. that they had uh, cast someone else and recorded the first episode and decided they wanted to make it a switch, and so they called me back uh, with some other folks, I think, and and um, I, I, they ended up booking me. You know, and So I, I went in to record. Actually, the first episode that I recorded had already been recorded, so they needed to record the Tick's lines over, of course, but they also needed to do his lines, the scenes that he did with Arthur. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, for the first season, Arthur was uh, played by Mickey Dolenz uh-huh. of the Monkees, who was, uh, I mean, I was a huge Monkees fan when I was uh-huh. a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. So getting a chance to meet him, you know, was a, was a big deal to me. And and uh, so I just, I had a blast doing that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about the, the tick versus the idea men. Um, it's funny, if I listen back to that that series... And I hear the progression of of sort of how the tick grew, uh, just in terms of his vocal quality, mm-hmm. um, um, much lighter and much younger hmm. um, in those first you know bunch of episodes, first you know four or five episodes I want to say, um, you know until I sort of kind of worked, I, I got really comfortable with it, you know, and, and worked into it, and 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 then it it didn't seem to, I, I didn't seem to have to really think about it too much mm-hmm. you know i just i had so much fun doing it i, I probably have more fun doing that show than any show i've done for in yeah. fact i remember you know how he does that weird rant you know he does some like crazy <laughs> rant at the end of yeah. every episode <laughs> and i learned early on that 
that that quickly became like just about my favorite part of the show. So when we would get together uh, in the morning to record uh, an episode, typically what they'll do is they'll hand out your script, you know, and you go through your script and you circle your lines and and uh, you know sort of get a general sense of where the show's going. Well, I would do that, but when I got to that very last page or two pages that that rant was on, I wouldn't read it. Uh-huh. At the point where I didn't, I didn't even want to know. I didn't want to know where he was going to go with this because I knew it was going to be someplace to, that was just way out there. And um, and so that was the most fun I had because uh, I think there were a number of times where they just took that, that just that first take. I mean, I didn't even end up doing a second take. I just read it cold, and it just seemed to like just fall out of my face. <laughs> you know, I had so much fun. The Tick is one of my all-time favorite characters. Um, my, I have, actually, I should have worn it today. No, I shouldn't have. That would have been creepy. Uh, a fr- my brother years ago bought me a, a, a T-shirt with just the Tick's big smiling face on it, like, and uh, and then on the back it says, "I am simply the Tick," and uh, and I still have that. I don't wear it anymore, but um, but he's as a character. What I what I like about um, I'm sorry, we're going to suck up to you more than we already have, but. Um, what I like about the way you play him is that the character is, r- is rather dim-witted. In the comic book, he's well, you know he's an insane asylum escapee, I believe, right? Yes, yes. Uh, they couldn't do that in the, in the in the show. They couldn't go quite that far, right? Yeah. But you know, when you were talking about Michelangelo, it's there was a real, at least in my head, there was a real similarity between the two characters uh-huh. in the sense that they were both just a little dim-witted, yeah. you know, in in their own way, but incredibly well-meaning. And that's what oh, yeah. I and that's what I like is I feel like some people might have and I don't know maybe the maybe the first guy to do the voice of the tick maybe this is what he did I have no idea but um, some people might have wanted to play play the the dim wittedness with almost a knowing wink that like oh look how dumb this guy is what I like about what you do is you play up the nobility you play up his optimism his heroism. And you just let the dim-wittedness take care of itself. It will become. It will be clear. Which is Don't pretty, worry. Pretty easy for me. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> um, but uh, was there, you know, was there? Uh, did you draw on some? Because of course, the so many of the heroes in the show are based on other heroes and, right. and all of that. And so, um, now that and <clears throat> did you find yourself going to any existing? Uh, hero voice whether it be x-men or batman or even even before that like i don't know super friends or something did you find yourself going to that to find inspiration for the tick or did it just kind of come about yes it was actually an amalgamation of uh basically three characters and then a you know a a bunch of my own stuff thrown in but but um it it, there was a a lot of gary owens i used to love gary Gary owens Owens. growing up you know watching him because because he came across to me as being so earnest and yet could say some of the most idiotic things and they were hilarious um so there was that uh uh ted knight uh, mm. ted baxter no baxter there you <laughs> go, right okay <laughs> sorry um nobody ever went ted baxter <laughs> yeah but uh you know on the mary tyler moore show i he was perfect you know as being this you talk about dim-witted and he he just he played that perfectly, you know, where he was he was the anchor. He was supposed to be the smart guy, you know, but he was the one who was like everything would go over his head. And then and then the, the third was actually there used to be um, still is, but uh, they're not as active as they used to be. Uh, 
an improv uh, comedy troupe back in the 70s when I was going to high school uh, called Fire Sign Theater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, f- they had a, uh, there was a character on Fire Sign Theater named Nick Danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of their bits was the further, the further, oh, gosh, I'm going to screw this up. The furthest, the furthest adventure, the further adventures of, no, what, what you guys, if you hear this, <laughs> pretend I really knew what it was. It's like the furthest <laughs> adventures of Nick Danger. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Third Eye. Okay. And, and, uh, and I remember the big, the big thing back in high school in, in the early 70s for me, like when I was in like 10th grade, 11th grade, was to memorize this whole, you know, 22-minute piece and be able to do all the characters and do mm-hmm. all the voices and stuff, you know. And so in terms of like impressions, you know, you're talking earlier about how I just don't do impressions at all. That was probably the closest I ever got to ever being able to m- mimic, you know, somebody fairly well. Um and I used to have a blast doing that. And but the character of uh, Nick Danger um, had sort of some of that uh, sort of similar quality, uh, at least in my mind, that uh, you know that uh, you know Ted Knight and and uh, Gary Owens um, that those kinds of characters had. And to me, when I saw the Tick, he just he looked like he could easily be that same have that same kind of you know. Um, guilelessness um, um, and almost dim-witted quality to him w- w- without without being just out and out stupid. Uh-huh. It's interesting you, you, you mentioned uh, Gary Owens. Uh, the same company that made King's Quest VI, uh, Sierra, uh, made a series of games called Space Quest. And uh, anytime they did like a uh, CD-ROM version of it, he was always the narrator. And his... His delivery of lines, because that, those games were very comedic. Uh, they're very Futurama-like uh, right. as far as that. And uh, and I remember hi- him saying lines is, and the way he said them, it. I, I have a uh, I have a Tyler Smith theory of comedy, which is if you have ridiculous things put in an authoritative voice, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Right. And just yeah, like and, and so there is uh, so I. In high school, I started doing a sort of Gary Owens type thing for like my TV video department and stuff, and and that's it's just like have this voice say ridiculous things. It's and it will be funny to well me, admittedly, but uh, maybe other people. But I'm mostly concerned about me. And uh, but there is a uh, like for example, there's a part in Space Quest where all those games you got to go through and like gather things and you pick things up and you use them later. And so there's one where you pick up a big two by four. And then uh, Gary Owens, as the narrator, goes, I bet you can't fit that thing into your pants. <laughs> and so then Roger Wilco, the main <laughs> character, shoves it into his pants. He's like, oh, I guess I was wrong. There must be plenty of spare room in there. <laughs> and just like, and so like to hear this authoritative voice like say like high school you know, <laughs> humor, locker room yeah, humor right. is hilarious to me. Right. And it's one of the same things that I love about The Tick is, like you said, like that last rant where he – I guess sums up the episode uh, is some of the funniest, most ridiculous right. stuff ever made funnier by the, I would say total commitment to it uh, by you. And it's, uh, it's just such a fascinating, wonderful character. Well, we've seen Tyler's excitement right here. Yeah, sorry. Um, and, but that, uh, that, that speaks to what I want to talk about. Um, certainly Ninja Turtles has probably had, broader impact it probably did i think it did better numbers or whatever it was mm-hmm. 
the uh, oh, uh, very popular yeah, show. It was, well, first of all, it went ten years in the tick, right? Uh, three, I think. And but but I feel like the tick <laughs> might have had maybe a deeper impact on certain people. It has something that's more akin to a cult following than Absolutely. the turtle. So, do you uh, maybe did, when people come up to you as tick fans, or or when you meet them, I don't know at I don't know conventions. I don't know if you do any of that stuff. Uh, do you feel that? Do you feel, do, do you feel like it's a, a deep part of the li- part Absolutely. of their lives? Absolutely, I'm I'm shocked at how at how big or what seems to me to me uh, to be still a, a, a relatively big uh, cult, almost rabid following uh-huh. of that show, and it hasn't even been on the air in fourteen years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, thirteen years. So. Um, yeah, it's you know it was really big with the college crowd. Uh, I remember back then, um, young adults and uh, the college crowd. Kids didn't. I mean, kids got a kick out of it, and I actually think that that's it was sort of the uh, you know brought about its early demise was that that Fox, you know, kept wanting to keep it on Saturday mornings, which I uh-huh. I don't think anybody thought it was a Saturday morning show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but you know maybe if it had been put on, you know. Somewhere closer to the Simpsons, right? Yeah, yeah. and this was uh, uh, d- uh, like um, this is before things like Cartoon Network, Adult Swim had really made their, oh, their yeah, mark, yeah, yeah. and like uh, it, uh, the idea of it was right when that stuff was just getting born. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and so I'm sure to an executive, the idea of making an animated show that's geared towards a college age crowd or something would have would have seemed bizarre and and been a hard sell. Right, but I remember. Yeah, but I mean, I but I remember you know back then was when like a Family Guy was getting started and King mm-hmm. of the Hill was getting started and uh, um, of course the Simpsons you know had been on for a while and uh, yeah there you know there were a bunch of shows that were were skewing a lot older you know mm-hmm. when I say a lot older I mean just not to six year olds right mm-hmm. you know um, and uh, and I and, and I was really really hoping that the you know Tick might get a shot at that kind of audience. Yeah. Um, but you know, it didn't. And I mean, it got, it did, it did, I think develop <laughs> its cult following because, you know, after a while comedy central picked it up and started airing it the way it probably should have been aired, which was right. evenings. And, and I think that's when it sort of developed definite cult status. Cause I think it was done by that time. But, uh, but and yeah. then there was the attempt at the, the live, live action, action show, one. which I'm a big fan of as well. I don't like it as much as the sh- as the animated show because, but at the same time, they're also trying to do very different things. It's a, it was a, yeah, a real different yeah, yeah a, approach to it. Mm-hmm. But but there's no question in my mind that like Patrick but Warburton. See, I was going to say Patrick Warburton is yeah. so hilarious. Yeah, that y- you know you talk about you know taking a, a a big voice and having it say you know stupid <laughs> things and having mm-hmm. it just be somehow inherently funny. Yeah, is is how he has pulled off so many of the characters that he's done. Yeah, he's he kind of takes the. I, I like him a lot as an actor, and I think yeah. he's I think he's a very smart guy as well. But he kind of takes the to use the an overused phrase dimwittedness of the putty character from Seinfeld, right. and has kind of parlayed that into other things. Yeah. But uh, and the Tick definitely has has a lot of that. But uh, yeah, and N- and Nestor Carbonell. Uh, oh yeah, was hilarious. On yeah. That. As Batman will, <laughs> which is instead of Deflator Mouse, was it? Yeah, who retained pretty much all the same characteristics, but could be a little bit more adult and Latin for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right. but um, now I don't. Uh, 
I, I, I don't really have much more to, to talk about, and we've been going for a while. So um, Maybe, I mean, how would, how would the tick wrap this episode up? Oh, okay. <laughs> you think? Oh, boy, I couldn't. Oh, don't put me <laughs> yeah, in the spot like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all I could say is. Uh, <clears throat> you know, kids, when you're a superhero. <laughs> how about this? That was good. Don't count your weasels before they pop, dink. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was amazing. That was uh, as hey. surreal to me as the yeah, Michelangelo one was. Yeah, see what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, that was great. That was delightful. <laughs> um, now, are you working on anything right now that you uh, are really pleased with, proud of? I was watching uh, on again on YouTube because uh, I'm I've never been interested in Transformers, but I know that you are doing a very tick like, uh, or you you have done a very tick like type character. On Transformers. Right. That show's not on anymore. I think right. we did like three or four um, seasons of it. Uh, it was Transformers Animated, mm-hmm. Cartoon Network. Um, and yeah, that character, from m- what my understanding is, it was, uh, was, uh, was actually a character that was in the very early uh, stages of Transformers, in the very early, early stories, mm-hmm. uh, Sentinel Prime, but had never really been developed into, uh, I think, one of the major uh, characters this is how it was told to me mm-hmm. um and uh and so they wanted to they wanted a, a tick like character um some of the writers and producers of the show were tick fans mm-hmm. uh-huh. and um i had heard that uh the the character sentinel prime was uh, modeled a bit after the tick with the you know he's got a lantern jaw and the you know the big jaw uh-huh. and the and the whole thing and i think they thought maybe it might be fun if you know they had me on board to you know to do that and it was it was a little hard for me because i you know the 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 tick is such an easy character for me to do um just sort of naturally without having to like work real hard at it it's it's harder work for me to try and do a character that is sufficiently different from the tick and yet still maintain some of the some mm-hmm. of the same sort of qualities without mm-hmm. me just launching into the tick yeah you know what i'm saying so that that was that was tough for me on on that show yeah um um is there anything uh that's right that show has been off for a couple years now mm -hmm. right um is there anything that you're working on right now that uh that you think people should see and that you're particularly proud of no i'm not doing any uh animation right now no so i don't have anything currently going um if they feel like uh watching regis and kelly before uh regis retires um go ahead and do (laughs) that because i do the promos for that (laughs) you know just like i did the the promos for uh nbc for 16 years but uh you know which is a whole nother leg of my career besides you know i had a commercial Mm -hmm. leg and the 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 network promo leg and then the and then the animation leg. were you doing NBC late night promos during this whole recent uh, debacle between Leno and Conan, and were you? No, I'm proud to say actually that I launched that debacle, <laughs> but but then they got rid of me. Uh, actually, the weekend that Jay started his um, new primetime show, uh-huh. well, at the time, what was his new primetime show? So it was about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the Monday that he was debuting his ten o'clock show, um, the Friday uh, night just before that was my was my last night there. So I had spent the whole summer of 2009, um, well, most of 2009, actually, you know, um, you know, doing the, the promos for um, seeing Conan say goodbye to, to you know, uh-huh. his late, late night, night show, yeah. and then uh, Jimmy Fallon coming on board, uh-huh. and then seeing Jay leave the Tonight Show and Conan coming on board, and, and then launching Jay's new 10 o'clock show all through the summer. Um, 
So, you know, it's entirely possible that the entire fiasco was due to me. <laughs> uh, you know, I believe it. I uh, Because here's the thing. is uh, Everyone's screaming for Jeff Zucker's head. Exactly. They don't know. Don't give him my name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the failure of the Jay Leno show, the 10 o'clock mm-hmm. show, I think it was probably due to, I'm going to say, a lack of energy of the, in the promos. Like, you didn't sell that it's a show people would enjoy. That's that what I get from probably you. it. <laughs> I'm figuring that's probably it. Well, after 16 years, you know, you just you get tired, man. You just can't keep giving it the same juice. You know, they can't all be friends in Seinfeld, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, listen, that's right. you can find, you, the listener can find us at BattleshipRetention.com or search in iTunes. You can email me and Tyler at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. Follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash ThePretension or follow Tyler on Twitter at Twitter.com slash lessons. That's all internet stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Okay. <laughs> Twitter.com slash lessons is the official Twitter of Tyler's other podcast, More Than One Lessons. You can find it at MoreThanOneLesson.com and I have another podcast, weekly television review podcast called Previously On. You can find that at previouslyonshow.com. Uh, Townsend, where can people are? Do you have an online presence? Do you have a Twitter I, and I, Facebook? I, I, I don't. I intentionally. Well, I'm on Facebook, but right. yeah, no, I don't. I haven't done the Twitter thing. I haven't gotten into that yet and probably won't. Um, a website? Uh you know what? To be honest, I don't even have a website. Okay. You know, I just well, that makes us bother- that makes us feel like an even more exclusive interview. No, oh, absolutely. I never, ne- just never bothered putting one together. And I keep saying, someday I'm going to do it. You know, <laughs> I keep threatening, but uh, until that happens, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I feel like you kind of win in this situation. Like, <laughs> as you heard and smiled at, we both now have two podcasts each. Like, <laughs> once you get started, it's hard not to get pulled in further and further until, <laughs> yeah, because you'll deeper, yeah, and yeah, deeper and deeper into the matrix. Because, like myself, you'll be <laughs> like someone who's like, I don't want to use Twitter, and then of course you get Twitter because everyone's like, you have to get it. You have a podcast to promote. It's like, ugh. Right. All right, fair enough. And that, and then of course I live tweet my. Uh, Trips to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's uh, Twitter's addictive, but it's a lot of fun. It's so. a, I, I, well, I find if I if I don't you know get on Facebook every so often, I have no idea what my kids are doing. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> that's the yeah. only way I can follow them. So anyway, you well, guys have been a pleasure. Thank you. So thank much. you. Th- thank you so much, Townsend Coleman, for uh, for coming uh, to Tyler's place in North Hollywood here and recording <laughs> this episode. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And all I can say is. <laughs> Spoon! <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.